you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hi there, win-win listeners. I cannot believe we made it to March. It's kind of warming up here in New York City, which is very positive, but March is also such a meaningful month with it being Women's History Month and March 8th being International Women's Day, but also this specific March is extra special as Win Women in Innovation is celebrating its five years. So today's episode features one of our amazing co-founders, Elfia Ilicheva, and then throughout the month, I will have Maria Patarojan, who is the other Win co-founder, come on and share her perspective. The cool thing about both Maria and Alfia is that they are such impressive leaders in the innovation industry, and so even if Wynn didn't exist, I could talk to them for hours about their trajectories and aspirations and dreams, but this mini-series will really dive deep into what it took for them to launch this nonprofit organization on top of their day jobs that has one full-time employee and is otherwise run by volunteers with chapters in New York, San Francisco, and London, and a global presence with thousands of members. Alfie and Maria are very different, and I think as you hear both of their episodes, you'll see that the way they solve innovation problems is from very different angles too, which is what makes them such a powerful duo. So to keep things interesting today, I'm excited to launch part one, which features Alfia. So make sure to subscribe and follow so that you don't miss the next episode and all of our other awesome March content. If you like this episode or podcast as a whole, please do make sure to review and rate it on Apple Podcasts as it really ensures that our mission goes far and wide. Without further ado, here is Alfia. Alfia, welcome to the most special episode of the Win Win Podcast, where we will be celebrating talking all about five years of this amazing organization, Win Women in Innovation. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so we'll start by taking it back to 2013. You just started as an engagement manager at Fahrenheit 212, a top innovation consultancy. So how did you get into innovation consulting, especially since a lot of your background was luxury and financial services? Yeah, so um, great question. You know, uh, I really believe that every journey in innovation is quite literally something innovated upon. So my journey is no different, right? So I actually never thought I'd be in innovation, never dreamed of it. Um, what ended up happening was um, actually before business school, I was working in financial services and was quite passionate about uh, distress investing and helping distressed and bankrupt companies uh, turn around and change the course of their future. In doing a lot of analysis and kind of work in this field, one of the things that I saw was this persistent uh, theme or trend, right? That a lot of companies that are going through distress, they don't have necessarily a money problem. It's not a capital issue. It's really an innovation or growth agenda issue. So I thought, you know, why not completely change careers, go into innovation consulting, join a top consultancy and kind of learn from the best, right? Uh, work with different companies, partner with management teams and, and explore and learn ways and toolkits to help companies turn around and then ideally go, go back and rejoin my finance industry, which ironically ended up happening 
with me three jobs later. So um, I would say, you know, looking back on my career, it was really driven by curiosity and kind of seeing this problem and being curious on how could I really learn that innovation skill to solve something that I was really passionate about, which was value creation. I think a lot of the times we hear about people wondering how is innovation an industry or a practice of its own. So I guess for those that don't know, what does an innovation consultancy really do as a function of business? Sure. So um, innovation has become truly a buzzword in the past, I would say, a few decades. I always joke that uh, my dry cleaners um, has the word innovation in their branding. You know, it's just really become so everywhere. Um, The way I define innovation personally is the creation of something new and also of something relevant to its consumer and user base. So the role of innovation consultancies is to become advisors, trusted partners for large corporations, private equity-backed businesses, and nonprofits to help them create new products, new services, and new experiences that can delight, but can also solve pain points of their user base and their consumers. One of the ways that the industry itself has changed a lot was back in the day, it used to be consultancies that only did this right. So you would partner with teams externally. Something that's changed now is a lot of the innovation consultancies, actually, um, the people that used to work in those places have actually moved and built uh, in-house innovation teams that are innovating from the inside out. So that's something that's you know been happening in the past few decades or so. And at the time when you started out, what did you feel like the barrier to entry for innovation and innovation consultancy specifically was for you? Barrier to entry. Uh, to be honest, when I applied for uh, the job at Fahrenheit 212, I was told by literally everybody, including you know, some of my mentors that, you know, good luck getting a job at an innovation firm. It's the most surreptitious black box recruiting experience ever. I mean, companies like IDEO, Frog, Fahrenheit get thousands and thousands of resumes per spots that don't even exist because there's a waiting list to even have any openings. So I would say the barrier, you know, the number one barrier is really awareness of how the process works or even if, you know, there are really any openings in that career field. One of the reasons why I was really inspired and passionate about starting women innovation is actually creating those pathways for women to explore, to apply and develop professionally in this innovation field. The industry is so uh, surreptitious and mysterious and so black box. One of the ways that we wanted to debunk it is by profiling and and quite literally sharing tangible stories, whether it's my own story of how I got into innovation, my co-founders, our teams, showing women kind of real ways and examples of how you can get into this field. So going back to your original question, you know, the barriers, I would say it's really awareness and then tangible pathways on how to actually apply and get into this field. And so how did you do it? How did I do it? Um, I would say um, like everything else that I do in my life, it's um, I get really curious about something. And when I get curious, I oftentimes start to explore the area, I stumble upon a roadblock, and then I get really obsessed about solving it. So, you know, with Fahrenheit 212, the actual story is, I think, quite funny. I was a second year MBA, nine months pregnant. I already had my job lined up uh, to go and do investing post business school. I think my year, I was the only woman that got a job in investing. That was a huge deal. So no way would I ever turn it down. You know, back then it would kind of look foolish. But in one of my classes, uh, the founder of Fahrenheit, Mark Payne, spoke about the role of value creation and innovation in our kind of future world. So I got really curious. And then I was exploring this whole area, you know, on my own, did research, kind of research, I Googled things around and kind of got stuck and, you know, 
understanding what even innovation meant. And I emailed Mark Bain, you know, cold call almost him. And, and, and I remember grabbing coffee with him, very pregnant. And that was sort of the beginning of my uh, leap into the innovation world, you know, getting curious, getting stuck, getting confused, trying to talk to somebody, and then going through this insane process of applying and getting recruited into this field. Lots of interviews and case studies. And do you think you mentioned the fact that you were pregnant, obviously, as an industry that doesn't have a lot of women in the first place, but then definitely probably doesn't have a lot of nine month pregnant women interviewing. (laughs) How did that, you know, how did that impact your recruitment or, or what was that experience like? You're interviewing me at a very interesting moment. I'm currently on maternity leave with my fourth baby. Something that I was really inspired by when I was a young child back in Russia. So I spent a lot of my summers with my grandparents uh, in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere in Russia. And my grandmother had eight children, was a math teacher and had this beautiful garden in this tiny little village. And she'd always tell me when I was a little girl that there's never right time in life to do anything. I mean, you just choose something, you do it, and then time like sand will just build around you. And she'd always highlight that, you know, I had eight children and I was a math teacher and there's never a good time to have a child when you're a teacher because you're either teaching or you have a three-month vacation over the summer when you're with your giant garden. And, you know, I kind of took it to heart. Um, There's really never a good time to have children. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and pursue my academic passions, pursuits, and then my professional dreams and have children whenever that kind of works out for me. The business school was as any good of a time to have a child, you know, as it was some other times. Because I think I never saw it as a barrier and never treated it as one. I think people around me were really understanding and actually felt kind of energized by it. When I was in business school, my professors used to joke that I'm getting kind of two degrees for the price of one because my onboard child is listening to <laughs> the queuing uh, models and econometrics and value, you know, value investing, all this other stuff. So I've always actually thought it kind of gave me extra energy because you've gotten nine months and it's a very defined time frame to, to be active, to be healthy, to be inspired and to be happy. Yeah, totally. I, I think about when today and the organization has monthly programming in three markets. We have this podcast, a global and a local team, a board, ambassadors, learning cohorts, advisory council, content creation, a member platform. I mean, Really, I could go on and on, but I, I do have to think about what, what was the birth of Win like? What was Win on day zero? Were you working towards this grand plan or, or really just figuring it out as you went along? Win really uh, started with, I think, a, you know, a very personal story, uh, a very personal experience of my own and of my co-founders. And I think the beauty of starting something with a partner is that you both have a shared vision, but you also complement each other with something new and different. So, you know, for me, back when I was at Fahrenheit 212, just like now, uh, when I'm in in-house role in innovation, you know, I really love my job. I mean, it's it's such a big part of my life. I extract a lot of joy from doing innovation. And I recall at Fahrenheit, something that I saw day in and out, you know, I'd come to work so happy, so excited. But then when we had those big client presentations for big brands, big companies, and there I am standing in front of a C-suite team of a big bank, healthcare company, insurance company, CPG company, I kind of had the same experience again, again, again. It's a giant boardroom. We are presenting this exciting, bold future of this company, all these product ideas. And I am again and again, the only woman in the room, not only on my side of the team, but also on the client side. And I thought, hey, 
how could this be that, you know, we're at this forefront, exciting time in our history, in our decade, I would say in our century, in our world where innovation finally is changing how we live, how we experience so many things. Why is it that so few women are in those like quite literally rooms where innovation happens, where decisions about our future happen? And, you know, that personal experience is something that I shared with with my friend uh, and my dear colleague, Maria, and she had the same experience. You know, in, on some projects, I remember very vividly, we were standing in front of this C-suite team at a life insurance company talking about innovating insurance for millennials. Both of us back then were pregnant and we're literally the only two women in the room. And we're talking about innovating insurance for women. I mean, it was you know so ironic. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's both crazy, but also I think it's inspiring. You know, um, if you believe in abundant thinking, kind of seeing problems, seeing gaps is, is pretty cool because you get to fix them. When we launched WIN, it was quite literally, I would say, an experiment. You know, we kind of spoke, I remember, and said, hey, if both of us have had this vivid little experience, we bet we're not the only women in this field who have had this experience. I mean, we can't be crazy. And we had this crazy idea, you know, why don't we invite all the women of our top competitors? Quite literally, we made a list of who can beat to Fahrenheit. So it's ID of Rock, What If Innovation, ID Couture, and others. And why don't we host a dinner? where we can all speak about our experience, understand what makes us excited about our jobs, what do we see as pain points. And, I'm, you know, that was a dinner that was uh, uh, quite interesting because we didn't know if anyone's going to show up. So I remember buying all this wine and cheese, and Marie and I joked, you know, if everybody shows up, it's going to be an amazing, amazing experience. If nobody shows up, you know, it'll be awesome as well because we'll drink all this wine and eat all this cheese. So it'll be extra fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I... Uh, it was uh, an extraordinary evening because the turnaround was 100%. Every innovation firm showed up. And, you know, of course, it was a very uh, unique experience because we had to basically invite our competitors to our Fahrenheit office. And I remember asking our CEO, Todd, if he was okay with that. And he said, wow, so you want to invite IDEO and Frog and everyone else to our office? He's like, well, you know, it's it, it's kind of like Pepsi inviting Coca-Cola for drinks and problem solving the future together. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. It's competition. And he was like, you know what? It's a crazy idea, but do it. Just cover the walls. So, you know, that was sort of the beginning of when, and it's funny to reflect back on it now because that dinner, that evening, I, you know, we even have photos from that night. Fast forward now, all those women that was, you know, that were in that room were the founding members of win and, you know, have helped us grow it to three chapters, 5,000 members, countless programming sessions, partnership collaborations. A lot of those women now, if you trace them, are senior C-suite executives at different brands like BlackRock, Coco Vida, Citigroup, and so many other places in the US and globally. So in many ways, you know, the WIN mission has really come to life through the tangible stories of those initial, I call it the last supper members, but also, you know, like those are the stories of, uh, of people that, you know, have really inspired thousands of people to come along. After that dinner, what were some stories or signs around the fact that your pain point was validated and you had breached product market fit and were ready to take on the next big step in validating this? Yeah. So the beauty of, of starting Win is, is that we had so many innovative women whose day jobs is about finding product market fit. And, you know, this is our shared passion. So all these people coming together across the globe, obsessive about trying to find that, that fit for Win. I would say, you know, in the beginning, the problem we really set out to solve was very obvious and simple, which was women didn't even have any resources in, in innovation to help themselves rise, right? So no network, no community, no resources, no training. 
So that was kind of the biggest pain point that we tried to solve through wind programming and everything else that we do. Something that happened that, that I think kind of really changed the course of wind three or four years ago was understanding that the problem that we're trying to solve and the solution that we have to offer is not just resources for women. It's actually how do we enable a platform, an ecosystem that can create a better future for everyone in the world, right? So it's not just about women. It's about enabling change for the consumer base, you know, kind of any and every sector. So when you think about women being um, business thought leaders and creating new products, new services, and new experiences, it's not just women that win, it's really everybody. So I think when we reimagine that problem in that way, all of a sudden, there's just so many more ideas and creativity and actually momentum that helped us kind of reach broader scale and reception. As part of that effort, I think on, on that journey, we also discovered that, hey, win is not about convincing the convinced, right? From that last supper and you know all the followers from that dinner, it's really about bringing along so many others, including men and those that don't even think that gender equity innovation is an issue along for the journey, right? So if you look at stats today, about 16% of top innovation bestsellers are written by women. If you look at chief innovation officers in Fortune 500 companies, only 22% are women, right? And if you zoom out um, and think about that problem, it's not just a woman's problem. It's the world's problem. It's the business world's problem. So how do you solve for that? Well, it's not about creating a separate table for women where we can you know, be like cheerleaders for, for each other. It's about creating a, a bigger table where everyone, men and women, can work together and where women's voices impact contributions are fueling kind of like the broad decisions that every industry is making. So I think when we reach that kind of epiphany, I would say two years ago, that kind of really changed how we grew and how we scaled. And it's been pretty exciting, I think, to be on this train ride of having so many people that used to be avid rejectors of when the mission to be brought along, because all of a sudden they see themselves being part of this amazing cause globally. What has been the greatest challenge for you about developing WIN? And what do you think is the greatest challenge for WIN as an organization, looking separately at those two? Mm -hmm. um, the greatest challenge for me has probably been around um, giving power away. So, you know, when you start something, right, it kind of becomes your baby, right? Your dream um, that you kind of bring to life, quite literally. And I think one of the joys of, of Win has been really seeing it evolve and grow. But, you know, of course, with that, the founders usually quite intrinsically, like almost like a philosophical umbilical cord, it's really tied to the DNA of the organization. One of the hardest things has been kind of really divorcing myself from, from Win or letting or empowering or enabling the next generation of leaders to really step in and kind of occupy that space of power. That's been a personal challenge. You know, one of the ways I've been trying to really work on this is think through the succession plan and, you know, who's going to be the future board chair? What's the future governance? How can the team evolve? And of course, uh, fundraising to make sure that all the amazing roles that we have actually get financially compensated. I mean, I think you've done a really good job. And also, clearly, you've allowed so many people, including myself, to run with their own win projects, with the podcast being one of them. Oh, thank you. Well, um, you've you've made it such an incredible part of win. I, you know, I'm just so proud, so happy, and so excited, and so thankful because, honestly, no one else would do such an amazing job as you. So thank you. And thank you for having thank me. I, I, I feel honored to be included in our podcast. 
to be fully honest. Of course. Uh, <laughs> you know, from, from the organization standpoint, I think the challenge is, you know, look, like most startups, right? You, you have some experiments, one of them works out, you hit product market fit, you scale, grow. And then I think phase two of any organization is really trying and is really hard, right? So how do you go from 50 people to a thousand people? So, and I think when is in that super exciting, but also challenging inflection point, right? We're only three chapters, but with COVID, ironically, we've been able to innovate our model so well that now we've got demand from so many countries, so many governments, so many people to open one presence in Sao Paulo, Moscow, Paris, Shanghai, I mean, everywhere across the world. So Tel Aviv. Yeah, Tel Aviv. There you go. Israel. Uh, it's been on my radar since day one, I'll be honest. So I would say, you know, our organizational challenge is really uh, finding that next round of sponsors, partners, uh, funders to help us grow and scale. And, you know, once we get that funding, it's going to be actually scaling. And, and, you know, that's the exciting part, but also it's quite hard to grow the team from the founders to the next generation. But I feel very confident in the current team right now, including yourself. So I'm excited for the next phase in the next two years. Yes, very exciting. And I also think something you mentioned, it's this notion of compensation and thinking about how far you've come and the organization has come. I mean, we've have a paid employee, a paid executive director, which is already such a big difference from you hosting a dinner and buying wine and cheese, right? <laughs> yeah. Every dream starts with uh, day one, right? And a first step or a first dinner. <laughs> right. Absolutely. When you began, how did you manage to recruit people to help you from your job and other people in your industry and not have it take away from your job? I ask this because one of my first episodes of this podcast was interviewing the amazing Geshe Haas. And something she said is like, don't quit your day job until your side hustle really starts to take off and you can't balance the two anymore. You've balanced the two always. And I'd argue that the whole idea of win and other people involved with win is for you to stay and rise in your job. So how did you balance that yourself? And how did you manage to recruit people who were able to do the same? So um, if you study the most successful people in any field, I mean, whether you look at the military, you look at healthcare, the arts, they most likely had, you know, quote unquote, a day job, but then a portfolio of interest outside their job that fueled and inspired their day job. I mean, a classic example from Russian literature is Anton Chekhov, who was actually a doctor, and he wrote to distract himself from all the problems he had in his day job. And, you know, he's known as one of the most accomplished Russian writers, right? So the the value of win is not, you know, for all of us, is to actually enable our day jobs to be better. So in a very tangible way, because what we offer is actionable training, actionable class programming, a community, a network, a job placements board, uh, a podcast. So it's not meant to detract you from a job. Actually, in many meaningful way, it's supposed to elevate, accelerate, literally, you know, the meeting you're going to have, the workshop you're going to host, that big innovation problem you're solving in your job. You know, the idea of win is to be part of that portfolio of interests and hobbies and passions for all the women, you know, involved. Of course, um, in the next iteration of win, as we fundraise more and have more people, for some people, it'll be their day job. But I still think the value of win is, is kind of being that really powerful nugget in their broader portfolio of what they're doing. And of course, you know, I also don't think that personal professional lives have to be completely separate, you know, either. In my personal kind of humble journey, I've actually found that win helped me become a better mother, a better sister, a better granddaughter, because it just brings me, you know, happiness and joy. 
and new ideas to bring, you know, whether it's a dinner conversation, a play date, um, science experiments that I'm doing with my daughter where we get to fail a lot and discover how to build flying helicopters. You know, you get to apply all those things you don't learn in your day job with your activities during snow days. Oh my God, so fun. I definitely want to join in on those experiments next time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Wearing your innovator hat, if resources, time, and space weren't an issue, what are some rocket reach ideas that you'd love to implement? Yeah, so uh, I really believe in dreaming big and then kind of when you dream big with no constraints and then just pushing reality in in that direction. So the answer would be actually what we're trying to do with Win right now. Uh, in three years, which is launching a digital platform that houses the world's best innovation, IP, resources, templates, workshops, materials for any woman in the world to be innovative, right? So in my kind of ideal dream case scenario, I imagine a girl in Afghanistan or a girl in um, a village in Brazil or a girl you know, in a village in Nigeria logging into our one platform and being able to pull the best in class resources to innovate whatever problem that she has. As an example, right, there's a girl in Afghanistan trying to take apart car parts and build uh, equipment for a hospital. I imagine a girl in a village in Nigeria working on something for her school where all of a sudden all of us, whether we're at Frog, IDEO, Nestle, Wandelis, Charles Schwab, in our innovation jobs, we work together to pull together the most amazing shareable IP and resources to help fuel innovation, you know, quite literally everywhere and for everybody. So that dream of kind of making the future better for us all becomes real because it's actually women and girls across the world tapping into the collective powerhouse of all of us. So that's, you know, that's the dream. But of course, you know, as I was saying earlier, I think everything begins with a dream. So we're currently in a process to fundraise money, to hire more people, to hire more engineers and make that dream a reality one day at a time. Yeah, diving in a little bit deeper in that, I you already stole a part of my next and last question, but I always end this podcast by asking a question that you actually came up with, and that's where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? But I'm actually going to break this rule and in honor of the Win Women in Innovation five-year anniversary ask, where do you see yourself and Win in one month from now, one year from now and five years from now? Yeah, um, love this question. So I'll, I'll start with my industry first and then we'll cover when. So with my industry, so, you know, uh, as you know, I'm now doing innovation in financial services. So, you know, if we zoom out, right, and financial services is quite broad, but if you think about asset managers, real money managers and insurance and all the other subsectors, I would say, you know, in one month, I don't really see much change the reason being is that, you know, the beauty of innovation is that actually people love innovation and they love talking about it. But actually, if you dissect and think about human nature, it actually takes a lot of time for change to happen. So I think in one month's time, I don't foresee any massive changes in my industry, but I do foresee people starting to be a lot more open and I think aware of all the changes that this pandemic world has brought upon their personal lives, but also their own industry. I would say in one year, and again, I'll cover this a kind of like a very broad macro view of FS. I would say in one year, one of the areas in my industry that I think is really, you know, at this point, very ripe for innovation is compensation structures, right? So thinking about how do you charge premiums? How do you charge fees from your user base 
for many years, I would say decades now, the way that fee structures and compensation has worked and how you charge for your product has been quite myopic and black box. But I think now, you know, there's just a broader paradigm shift in kind of how end users think about value. And I think that's going to change in one year's time. I, I think at the very least, there'll be initial nudges and steps and simmering of kind of a bottom-up push to make compensation more transparent and to be more equitable and fair. You know, uh, if you think about the 10-year horizon, so that's where I think the real exciting, interesting change is going to happen. So we've been talking for years now about uh, the role of technology in financial services and how it's going to disrupt and change everything. But if you actually face reality and like kind of look at how companies work today, again, because of human nature, inertia, not everything has changed. But, you know, the beauty of the pandemic is, again, it has created this amazing constraint or that urgency to actually innovate. So what I'm super excited about in 10 years is actually seeing the role of the human change in both my company, but also the broader sector. So moving the role of the human away from doing a lot of the processing analysis to enabling technology, do a lot of those tasks that could be automated, but moving the human factor to be part of the better, more magical uh, user and customer experience. So I think in 10 years time, we'll see real traction, I would say across every sector, you know, insurance, pension funds. And I'm really excited because we will probably see creation of many new jobs for people that we can't even fathom today. And then talking about when and one month from now, one year from now and five years from now. Yeah. So um, now that, you know, we're in March and it's our five year anniversary, as you know, we're in the midst of uh, doing broad fundraising to uh, grow win in its next five years. So in one month, we'd be super excited to actually put all the capital to use. Right. So we have a lot of exciting new pilots coming on board. We're planning to partner with different nonprofits to launch new learning cohorts to scale our impact across the globe, to open new chapters. We have, you know, we actually have one that's uh, in beta mode in Europe, but also looking to open new chapters. So I think in one month, it'll be super exciting to see how we fuel all that growth um, with our team. In one year, I would be very excited if in one year we would have more full-time staff and we would be able to be a lot more transparent and real-time with how we track our impact. As you know, we've been tracking our bank since day one. But one of the exciting things about having a full-time staff is actually having dedicated resources to be able to track. Okay, so if we're saying close gender gap and innovation, empower, enable more business and thought leaders in innovation, I'd love to be able to have a platform, a dashboard that actually counts and tracks how are we actually track all those goals and priorities. I would say, you know, in five years, We have uh, ambitious plans, uh, as I was saying earlier, to have the world's first tech-enabled platform that houses the world's best innovation IP for all women across the world. So that's kind of number one. We have plans and ambitions to open chapters across every continent. So make WIN really present and very relevant across different innovation hubs. Um, We also have the dream of actually creating WIN's own IP. So currently... The way we work is we partner and collaborate, but we'd love to hire people to actually create win-specific, women-led IP um, on the innovation topic. And that could come to life through a combination of different publications, technology tools, fellowships, programs, uh, and so forth. So that's probably, you know, in, in five years. And of course, my personal dream is to, just like now, we're able to celebrate 
those women that were part of that first founding team, The Last Supper, um, I'd love in five years to have, you know, more personal stories, right? Uh, just like your story, Zoya, women that are part of WIN and have their paths be open, be accessible so that they can help inspire the next generation of women. I so appreciate that. And I, I do have to end this episode by saying that it, it's so true and it's so real. And I have the privilege and opportunity to interview and talk to more and more women like you every day because of WIN. So I'm really excited to see what we continue doing together in the next one month, one year, and 10 years from now. Me too. I'm very excited. And thank you for having me. Um, this podcast has been such an amazing resource and actually, you know, an amazing learning opportunity for me. I've learned so much from all the stories that you've helped craft and capture in eternity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.